0: Hello to our immigrant family, this is your host Sadia Khan with a very exciting guest joining us from Dallas, Texas today. My voice is a bit raspy because I have cold and sore throat, so just ignore it. I was almost thinking of canceling today's interview, but then... I really wanted to talk to our today's guest. But before we get into who, I want to discuss a few housekeeping items. First, if you haven't subscribed to our podcast or have visited our Patreon, please consider doing that. Podcast production is not easy, it requires a lot of time and effort, and we cannot continue without your support. You can find links on our socials and other places. Also, I'm trying a new recording tool today, I typically use Zoom, however I am using Riverside.fm Let me know if you notice any change in the sound quality, hopefully for better, after all I want this to be an excellent experience for all of you. Alright, enough about me. Let me introduce you to Ruby Jaffrey. Ruby is a talented contemporary calligraphy artist who has exhibited her artwork worldwide, including in London, LA, New York, and Karachi. Like many of us who rely on art for an expression and play, Ruby describes hers as a celebration of color, spirituality, faith, and stylistic zeitgeist. I couldn't agree more. Ruby specializes in Arabic script and modern Islamic art. Visual art, calligraphy and architecture, as some of you may know, are a massive part of Islamic culture, as seen in the vibrant and striking building designs of mosques and historical sites. However, there is a particular focus within the religion on the beauty of calligraphy and poetry in Arabic, Urdu and Farsi. Throughout our conversation, I was struck by how Ruby talked about art. She basically regarded it as a process with so much power and spirit. So please join me in welcoming Ruby to the show. I'm really excited to have you on my show. You're based in Dallas, right? I am, yes. So how's Dallas weather today?
1: Oh God, don't get me started on the weather. I am a cold weather person and it is yesterday. I think the day before yesterday was still 90s. So I don't know if that relates to you. I don't know if you think in centigrade or Fahrenheit. I used to think in centigrade. But I think in centigrade that would be 30 something which is too hot. That's too hot. brutal. That's really bad for October. It shouldn't be happening. It shouldn't be and honestly for people who say that there's no such thing as global warming, I've been here 20 years now and my birth is in September and I used to love it because the summer used to kind of calm down by then and it used to be more in the 70s so 18, 19 but now it's just gone crazy. I'm still waiting to put on a coat.
0: You know, it's interesting you mentioned that you came here 20 years ago. I came to the U.S. almost 20 years ago as well. Our first stop was Cambridge, Massachusetts. So I had just gotten married. My husband got into a master's program in Cambridge and we were living on campus. It was nice, but it was difficult to adjust. Even living on campus wasn't easy because everything seemed so strange and almost alien-like. It wasn't fun in the beginning. I don't know how your experience was. I think it's
1: pretty much the same. It wasn't fun in the beginning. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I was coming from having worked in central London to Dallas, Texas. Strangely enough, I'd never been to America. I'd been, I guess, East. So I'd been obviously further Oh, this was Pakistan. Actually, no. no, the furthest was Hong Kong and Singapore and Tokyo, because my brother did a student there for work and we went there to see him. And so that was the furthest east I'd gone, but I'd never been to States before. So my first experience of the States was Dallas, Texas of all places. Of all the places. All the places. I didn't go to New York. I didn't go to California. I agreed to marry somebody who lived here. But the good thing was that he's also from London. My husband's also from London, but he's been in the States for a lot longer than I have. But yeah, my first experience of Dallas and America was kind of just weird and surreal. It was just coming from a daily routine, going in central London, being in the hustle bustle of London life, and then just rural. I mean, it wasn't rural, but it felt rural. For me, it was expectation versus what was actually
0: happening, I guess. And this was post 9-11 era. So America was already very paranoid. Yes. I'm sure you can talk to your experiences as well. But as a Muslim woman, just to reconcile between your identity as a Muslim woman and then being in America and accepting that wholly. I was looking at your work. I am so inspired by the work you do. I think you really accepted it and want it unapologetically, which is commendable. I have so many thoughts on that and I wish I could do that. So we'll just dive right into your work. So I was on your website and I noticed something. There's this big heading which says it begins with a line above your artwork. And it really struck me as something so interesting yet unique. And I thought I'll ask you, what does your creative process look like when you draw that one line?
1: There's so much to unpack in that one question. I don't know where to begin. I'm thinking to go back to where you were originally talking about your Muslim identity. But I think we'll just start with and you said the heading on the first thing that you see in the website it begins with a line and honestly my journey literally began with no set plan my artistic journey we're talking about and so when i say that i'm not from a fine arts background just to be clear I'm not from a calligraphy background, so I have taken a course during COVID, but I haven't taken any courses which would allow me to have ijaza, as in calligraphy, as a calligrapher. So,
0: so ijaza
1: is what, permission? Yeah, exactly what it sounds like. It's ijaza, and, you know, there's people who train with master calligraphers. They're all over the world, a lot in Turkey. But, yeah, people who want to go down that path as a calligrapher will train with a calligrapher for many, many, many years. And then somewhere along the line, they've done enough and they've proved themselves enough, and then they will get ijaza to practice with a calligrapher or to teach. So I am not from that background. I am from an English literature background. Wow. <laughs> so when I say begins with the line, don't think that I have fat or anything in my blood. No, no, absolutely not. But I think it just goes to show that you can literally start from anywhere. And I guess that's kind of a bit of a metaphor for America, you know, opportunity. And it really was. I mean, I hate to be cliched, but I came from leaving my job as PR and advertising industry, realising that that was not a nine-to-five job for a Muslim single female in London. I wasn't told by my parents, but when I used to come in, that cab tail up at two o'clock in the morning outside the house, and they'd be like, we're done. <laughs> 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 But that was the way PR and advertising was in London. If you're working there, then you're expected to network. After hours, that's where all the career growth happens. You climb the career ladder by doing your networking. And that was after hours. So... That was PR and advertising in London. I'm sure pretty much anywhere in the world it's the same to a certain extent. But yeah, I realized very quickly that that was, I worked in that industry for about a year and a half, that that was really not a long term aspiration for me. And so then I switched to HR, which was very much nine to five. <laughs> 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 you know, I went from an English literature degree, not knowing what career path to follow, thinking I wanted advertising in PR, doing advertising in PR, realizing it wasn't exactly what I thought it would be, HR. And then here I am in 2002 in America. America having just got married and then we had kids very early on so I think our first year anniversary we gave each other the gift of saying okay by the way we're gonna have a, a child <laughs> same here I don't know about you but there was just so much going on in those early 2000s 2002 we got married 2003 we had our first child 2004 we had our second child so just to add interest to the mix and that whole period of my life was such a blur
0: I can imagine very similar story
1: really We're gonna talk about this off camera. Going from, in three years, being a single person to having two kids under two. It's not fun. It's <laughs> not fun, and it was a real journey for me.
0: When I look back, I am like, what the hell was I thinking?
1: I shouldn't have had kids in my 20s. I wouldn't have wanted to be around me at that time. And so the calligraphy came about as a very much recreational source of de-stressing. At a time, that was quite stressful in terms of, we had come to America, and my husband had told me that we were going to move back to England Five years. Oh my gosh, <laughs> Ruby, this is so crazy. It's almost like you're narrating my story. <laughs> in parallel lives here, just in different cities, right? So it was a five year plan. We're going to go back to London after five years. And, you know, 20 years later, we're still here. But that's beside the point. So we were at a period of our lives where we weren't sure whether we were going to go back to London or whether we were going to stay here. And then, you know, we had two kids. It was just a lot to try and figure out in a very short space of time. And so my husband is very creative and artistic as well, and we had bought some canvases home that we had done for fun, and we had free time before kids. <laughs> so
0: both you and your husband were doing calligraphy at
1: the time. No, so he's not a calligrapher. I'm not a calligrapher either. But he paints, and he actually, strangely enough, has more experience in art because he took some art classes in his degree. You no, know, in England, I don't know. In Pakistan, it's the same where you follow the system where the degrees are literally if you sign up for literature—that's all you study, right? <laughs> <laughs> take photography—you don't take anything else. So, my husband had taken art classes, so he is also very creative. He likes photography; he's into drawing and stuff. We had a few canvases lying around at home, and as I said, it came about as a stress reliever. I realised that I actually hold a paintbrush, so it's like, okay, this is good. And then the very first piece was just a very small canvas, red background, and it says Bismillahirrahmanirrahim, and. That was the very first piece, and it brought me a lot of peace. At a time where I was feeling very conflicted, uncertain about the future, and it was very therapeutic. And I kind of just got hooked, to be honest with you, after that. It was like, this is so nice. I can just forget about where I'm going to be next year. Here, or I don't know where. There was so much to think about, and this was just my escape.
0: Do you do come from an artistic background your family is quite artistic your mom is a poet she taught you how to write arabic and urdu script early on, which as an immigrant mom, I haven't been able to do with my kids. And I feel so bad. Guilty, guilty. (laughs) From your website and what I was reading about you online, it seems like your mom and your husband are major influences in your life, especially when it comes to how your career formed and how it evolved. Do you think if your husband didn't encourage you or if your mom didn't teach you how to write Arabic and Urdu script early on, you would have still pursued this path?
1: Not at all. Not at all. I mean, they're completely responsible both of them in their own rights. My husband for having literally encouraged me and supported me throughout. I mean, as I said, he was the one who put me up for my first exhibition. He submitted my work portfolio to ISNA, their annual convention in Washington. I think it was the first year that they had an Islamic art exhibition. I don't know how he found it. I think I may have mentioned it to him. So basically, the kids were getting a little bit older. By this time, we had our third, I think, and so he submitted my portfolio to them as a potential artist, and they gave me a call. I didn't know about it, but he did it, and then he said, oh, by the way, you can accept this art exhibition, and it was in Washington. And I was like, well, that would mean I would have to go to Washington and look after the kids. He was like, I'll do it. So, you know, he has been 100% pivotal and responsible for me being here today. And my mom is a Urdu poet, so Urdu was very much a part of us growing up. It's so entrenched in me now. My daughter's essay for college applications was also entitled Urdu (laughs) Begolo, because that's what I grew up hearing from my mom saying Urdu Begolo, or she came to the UK in the 60s with a plan to start a PhD at SOAS in Urdu literature. And then along came my eldest brother. And then that was that (laughs) That plan got shelved. But she pursued that love and passion for Urdu and channeled it so that she taught all four of us to read, write. And I did it up to A-level. And my sister pursued it, ironically enough, at the School of Oriental and African Studies with law. So her degree was actually a joint degree in law with Urdu. So that's how she carried on that legacy and passion for Urdu through her kids. So she taught us all. And that's my knowledge of Urdu. That's where it comes from. So yes, I could write the script. And obviously Arabic is very similar. She had also taught us to read Quran. I feel ashamed when I talk about how my mom taught all four kids with such few resources. And I'm just like, okay, who's learning? <laughs> online and i'm like because i guess the kids don't take you seriously when you try and teach them at least you're
0: doing urdu learning online i haven't even done that with them and it's crazy because i read quran in english and i have been scolded and reprimanded for that by my family and for me it's like i can understand it better if i do although to be honest even when i'm reading it in english I really don't understand it at all. It's very metaphorical.
1: Yeah, there's so much to try and digest. The topic of the Quran is a whole other podcast.
0: Right. (laughs) So Ruby, I want to circle back to your identity and expression of it through art. You're working at the intersection of spirituality, your religion and art, which is a fascinating space to be. But I wonder how challenging is it to be able to do justice to both.
1: Yeah, I don't think we ever feel that, okay, you've done justice to both. I still feel very much lacking in both departments. If you think about it from the perspective of there are so many people who know what they're doing so much better than me. I'm not even scratching the surface here in terms of spirituality-wise at the beginning of a journey, still so much to learn. Some days you just wake up and you feel the imposter syndrome and you think, what am I doing? I'm writing all this and I don't know what people are thinking that I have knowledge of the, even the surah that I'm writing or the words that I'm writing. Like you say, when you read the quran you can read the first year fatiha and it's clear but there's so much in there both perspectives from the calligraphy perspective There's so many people who are doing so much amazing work. And then you look around and you feel like an amateur, you know, I'm holding a crayon and I'm not even holding it right. That kind of thing. So I think that if you start looking at yourself in those mirrors, then it can be quite demotivating because you're like, what am I even doing? But I think the nice thing is that there's such a space that's opened up now. I think maybe with the advent of social media, and you can actually see what people are doing around the world. And you realize it's kind of okay to experiment and try and be public about your learning experience because that's what this is it's a learned experience and so that's where i see myself in that light and then i'm okay If I start looking at myself in the light of doing calligraphy and these exhibitions in the beginning were so daunting because I would have some Arabic speaker come up to me and say, oh, I love your work. It's very nice. It's very daunting because I'm not an Arabic speaker. I can write the Urdu script, but you feel kind of like, again, imposter syndrome. I just think of it as a journey in terms of trying to better yourself through learning.
0: You know, for me... Arabic calligraphy is an expression of your identity in a way, right? Because we do associate that with our religion. It is part of our religion. You're writing Arabic script. You are writing Quranic verses. Now, surprisingly, I don't have Arabic calligraphy displayed on the walls of my house. And sometimes I feel like it's because I want my religion to be a private affair. So I pray, but I won't pray in public. I fast, but I won't talk about it. Sometimes, honestly, Ruby, I think it has more to do with internalized Islamophobia because I don't want to be judged as conservative or as I don't even want to say practicing Muslim because I do talk about the fact that I am a practicing Muslim. I just am scared how people will judge me if they saw Arabic calligraphy in my house, which is so sad. And that's why I am so impressed with your work because you're doing it unapologetically. Was there ever a moment when you thought how
1: people in the U.S. would perceive you or your work? It's funny because, like you said, 2002 was right off the back of 9-11. And so when I came to the U.S., I was very much aware of what has now become coined as Islamophobia. It wasn't so much then, but there was very much an atmosphere of, okay, what now? Because now Muslims are these terrorists. That's all that anyone knows about them and cares to know about them. And like you said, the America that we're in 2022 is very different the America that I came to in 2002. How so? I mean, for starters, I wasn't a hijabi when I came to Dallas. So I did not observe hijab very much like you. I was of South Asian descent, but I could have been anything, nondescript. Other than when I opened my mouth and people were like, oh, you're not from here, are you? I was like, yeah, I'm not from here. So that would start the conversation. I think I went around it the reverse because I didn't anticipate that I would be displaying my work in public. It was just a very personal thing. I ironically wanted something in my house, which was Islamic, because I think it's different when you're raised in the West. I was born raised in the West. And in England at that time, there was such a movement towards the Muslim youth in England, literally claiming their identity as Muslims. There were so many girls wearing hijab. Not that hijab is a statement about you being... Muslim or anything, or whether it defines you, even culturally speaking, there weren't that many. There were hardly any. So there was Arabs. My husband knew a lot of from Lebanon and different parts of the Arab world. We knew a lot of Pakistanis. We knew a lot of Indians, but I didn't know any hijabis. I would say, and I didn't see any obviously Muslim women in the streets or in the malls of Dallas. Now it's a completely different story. So I think people have become more comfortable, maybe in protest of Islamophobia. I feel like that's where I got a feeling more strongly because I was like, no, I don't want to be defined by this identity of what people perceive a Muslim is. Or somebody else defining it for you, right? How dare they? I want them to be proved wrong. And I want them to see that if this is what a Muslim is, then maybe it's not so bad. Maybe, you know, I'm not wielding a weapon that you expect me to be wielding. I'm actually a normal, civilized, educated, person who lives in the modern world and abides by society rules and norms. I don't think I was ever scared because, as I said, I didn't enter the art space calligraphy Islamic art space with the intention of being public with it it was just for me it was for my house I was looking for Islamic art for my house but I wanted to be modern Islamic art so I had lots of boxes to check at that time I couldn't find anything it was like early 2000s and I didn't know about Instagram and Facebook even if it was around websites were all like import from Turkey import from so-and-so, and And there wasn't much modern stuff around. So honestly, that's how I came into it. So when I did it, I wasn't really with the intention that, okay, this is going to be displayed. I think that thought didn't even occur to me. But once
0: it was displayed, once you became an Islamic calligraphy
1: artist. Did that thought process change at all? I was lucky enough to assimilate into society where I was surrounded very much by a lot of Pakistanis and Indians and Muslims. I guess I didn't work in corporate America or didn't come into a regular job where I was mixing with all different cultures and religions and Americans. So my society was very much, okay, who are my husband's friends, both Pakistani or Indian. My mostly Muslims. So I didn't have to have that kind of internal conflict where, okay, you know, people are going to come to our house, they're going to judge me. Everybody was Muslim that we were associating, which was nice. There was a big community here. So that really never even worried me, I guess. And again, that I think comes from not having come into a job here like I did in the environment I was working in London. I think it would have been different if I had had the same environment where I was amongst a lot of people, Westerners, Americans, that may have swayed me a little bit, but that didn't even occur to me. But you would be surprised how judgy Muslims are. Yeah, 100% right. And I experienced that somewhat in 2013 when I started wearing hijab. So I didn't wear hijab before that. And it's amazing. My parents, when they found out I was starting to wear hijab, their first reaction was, why in Texas have you decided to wear hijab? And as a parent, I can understand that. I would be worried too. But it's amazing because the judginess that I faced wasn't from so called redneck my parents were worried about in the streets. It was from within my community.
0: Ruby, if you don't mind my asking you this, why did you decide to wear hijab? Was there a trigger? Was there
1: something that had occurred? I think I'd always wanted to growing up, but I think the art really filled the deal for me because I would be going to this Islamic art exhibitions and some of them were in local masajid or mosques. And then obviously I would observe hijab while I was displaying my art in those venues. Not everywhere, but some places I would. And then I just felt so wrong whipping it off on the way to the car. (laughs) And I guess, again, being... In that sphere where you are meeting people who are loving the art, not for the art, but because it's the words from the Quran, Mm -hmm. the verses, the sacred verses, I strongly, strongly believe that what is being written and the art that I'm doing is the reason for the appreciation. I mean, if I was just doing random calligraphy, there's just no way I would be where I am today. So Mm -hmm. it's the barakah from that. I was getting more and more connected to the work, and I felt like that was a way of saying thank you to Allah and being conscious and exhibiting my gratitude.
0: So you identify as a contemporary Islamic artist. Yes.
1: What does that mean? What does contemporary (laughs) Don't ask me what it means. (laughs) You know, influenced by contemporary trends, contemporary aesthetics. Give me some examples. I'll give you a very basic example and it's going to bring me down in the views of anybody who thinks I've got this amazing inspiration. I mean, I'll go into and Barrel and Room and Board or CB2 and I'll see an amazing palette and I'll see some art, some modern abstract art that they've done. And I'll be like, oh, I love that palette. I need to bring that contemporary trend or that contemporary colour palette into my work somehow.
0: is very basic. You know, I'm not an artist, but I do have a dear friend who is one. And the way she works, to me, it seems like art should be an expression of one's self. And that's what you're doing. So it's amazing the way you bring the modern and the spiritual aspect of it together. Expanding this conversation, how do you identify with religious sensibilities or what you're doing and also your work as a? contemporary artist.
1: One of the issues that I come across in the art that I do, again, trying to balance my desire to do modern abstract calligraphy work. Sometimes you'll come across people who love the modern and the abstract aspect of it, mostly younger generations. And then there's the older generation who've been seeing calligraphy done in the traditional ways and they'll be like, is this okay to do because you are distorting a little bit in terms of it's not written in order or it's not immediately legible as what you've written
0: but who is to decide how it should be written as an artist you should have the creative liberty to experiment no
1: so that's where I always emphasize that I'm not a calligrapher, I'm an artist. Because artist gives you just a lot more range and wiggle room. So that's the distinction I always clearly define. I say, I'm not a calligrapher. Calligraphy artist, yes, because and that allows you personal expression in your work. And yes, it says what I'm saying, it's the Surah Fatihah, then it is the Surah is in there, and I have written it, but it's a personal expression of that combined with art. So again, it's a very fine line that you have to tread where you don't cross the boundaries of disrespecting the words by changing. So there's that balance that you have to draw. Who are you targeting with your art? My kids? (laughs) No, honestly, seriously, it's the next generation. When I started, I wanted a modern expression. I wanted something spiritual, but I wanted something that wasn't traditional and wasn't old school, something that's already been done. I wanted something that I could express different parts of my personality with. So I could express the spiritual side, my religious beliefs, but also show that I'm a modern progressive Muslim who does have appreciation of current trends and current art. For me, it's so much more of an effective means of making your kids proud of who they are and their religion than me saying, Rida, listen to this lecture. (laughs) Sit
0: down and listen to me. But Ruby, are you targeting only Muslims or does your consumer base include people from all different backgrounds?
1: I would like to think I'm appealing to an open thinker from any background, any culture, any religion, any ethnicity. The Quran itself, we're still learning, but there's so much common sense and logic I think anyone who's got an open mind can come to the work and see, okay, yes, aesthetically it's beautiful, but what's being said here? And I think if I can just resonate with even one person who's willing to openly think of the beauty of it, I think that that is really an achievement in itself.
0: I was also looking at your website and you price
1: your pieces very reasonably. Was that intentional? So I started the website, I think, during COVID. I had a website. It was 10 years old. I updated the website in 2020 or 2021, and I decided that I want to introduce prints because I don't want it to just be art that somebody can only have if they can afford it. Just paintings are very different. So what you see on the website, you see a whole section with prints. Now there's a whole range of metal minis, which are desktop, which are available as well. But yes, the website was definitely a way of trying to broaden the customer base in terms of if somebody wants Islamic art and some modern Islamic art, I didn't want them to feel like, okay, well, you know, that's out of my reach. So the prints were definitely a way of appealing to more people, like younger people. And as I said, if I'm trying to appeal to the younger people and make it so that they want something as well, I had to make it affordable. But yes, commissions are obviously a whole different story. And even, you know, the last 10 years, I've evolved in terms of pricing as well, just because I look at my old stuff and I'm like, I don't know, who would even pay for that? But yeah, obviously having done it for 10 plus years now, alhamdulillah, and now there's so many different things that I will try and do as well. Now I'm trying to experiment more with mixed media. So I'm doing oil and acrylic. I'm doing a lot more textured work and anyone who's been around for the last two years have realized how expensive things have become. So that has definitely impacted the price ranges and stuff like that. But the website was my way of trying to make it accessible for a lot more people. Is there a
0: correlation if you price it higher? Do people think it's more valuable?
1: I guess that's the way some things work, but the way I've tried to always structure the pricing is how long does this piece take me to do? For example, the oil and acrylic now takes ages to dry, which is why i am realized that oil paints are more expensive. But in terms of pricing, now I've got a structure where I don't adjust the price according to how detailed the work is. I've just figured out a structure where I do it by size. So in terms of materials and stuff, obviously the bigger you go on a canvas, the more expensive it becomes, just in terms of materials being... In the size of the canvas itself also transportation is a big issue now there's very few pieces that i do which i can either deliver if it's local myself because nobody wants small pieces now i guess that's texas maybe because <laughs> people are huge and none of that fits then obviously i have to get somebody to pick up deliver transport when i even buy it i have to get it delivered to me then if they want it framed then i have to get it delivered to the framer The framer has to deliver it. So there's a whole circle. So now I've just worked into the pricing structure, those different moving parts. In terms of perceived value, I don't think you can ever really put a finger on that because people perceive art in a different way. Some people will be like, this is priceless, then you'll have the people who are buying it from a different mindset. They're like, well, I have this much budget, some kind of art in my house, and I just need something. So I guess it depends on the person buying. So I try and be flexible in terms of what somebody's requirements are, to be honest with you. I don't want to ever turn anyone away and say that, sorry, I mean, it does happen because some people have unrealistic expectations. (laughs) Now there's a whole digital process that goes into my work as well. So now the way commissions works is that I do a digital rendering first and that is very time-consuming. So you have to counter all those things in.
0: Ruby, I want to go back, religion being at the center of what you do, but Islam is perceived outwardly, at least, in a very reductive negative fashion, especially in the West. People see it as rigid. It is equated to either oppression of women or Muslim men being crazy or whatever. And you're creating space through your art for Islam to be seen through a different lens because there is so much history when it comes to art and artistic expression in Islam. Mm -hmm. Have you ever had people, art collectors who've been surprised by what they've discovered through your art about Islam and about Muslims? Have you ever had any interesting
1: comments, surprising reactions? Yeah, I definitely think it's opened up a dialogue with the intention to try and make some contribution to the way Islam is perceived by somebody who maybe doesn't know anything about Islam and to try not to be judgmental. But even though I don't associate on a daily basis or don't come across it or interact in terms of my work with a lot of non-Muslims, but it's true. I have on occasion exhibited my art in non-Islamic events and again, it's been very nice to the the only condition is to have an open mind i mean if you're receptive then you won't come with a judgment but yeah it's been nice because i have been able to start conversations a friend of mine who's actually now become a friend i met her when we were strangely enough building the current house that we live in she was building a similar floor plan and she was having a look at our plans and We just fell into conversation and have now become good friends. And I actually did a podcast with her. She had me on as a guest and very God-loving from a religious Christian background. We talked about religion and how we connected, strangely enough, through our spirituality. Even though she's Christian and I try and practice Islam, we made a connection in terms of religiosity and spirituality. Passionate love for my religion. Now, whether or not I'm considered a practicing Muslim or not is anyone's guess, but I try not to think of myself in those light. I think of my relationship with God. He has a relationship with God and a very loving and very healthy attitude towards what our perceptions of God are in terms of fear mongering. We have a very organic relationship.
0: And it's not transactional, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And we connected through that commonality in our perceptions of what God is. Even though my art is Islamic in the sense that it's written word from the Quran and Hadith and different religious script. But it's much more than that, I think it goes to the message in the words rather than what's actually been written. She described what I had written, she asked me to explain it, and just in no knowledge of where that was from, she understood the words for what they were. It's been amazing because sadly, sometimes you're judged more within your community more than you step outside those boundaries and you meet somebody and they're like, okay, so what does this mean? I guess it's a more free thinking way of looking at it. And that's refreshing.
0: Ruby, in the end, if you were to define America in a word or a sentence or a phrase, how would you define it?
1: Oh, dear. (laughs) I knew there's going to be one question in there like that. I'm going to be completely stumped. I don't think I could ever try and encapsulate the whole of America or my perception of it as I've perceived it in one word, the whole cliche of it being the land of opportunity and this, that and the other. But honestly, for me, it has been growth in terms of who I was when I came here. 20 years ago to who I am today. And I think that's growth in so many different areas of my life, even growth in my spirituality, because I pushed against the pressure of being a Muslim in America. And I have that resistant personality where I push back. If I believe in something, I'm going to try and bring over to the dark side and make you understand what my perspective is, and I'll do whatever it takes to do that. So I think, yes, I would say growth so many different aspects of my life i don't think i would have been possibly doing this if i had stayed in the uk because i've had to grow apart from my family in terms of i've grown outside the unit that i had when i was in the uk my parents are older now they're going through difficult times in terms of their health and i feel constantly guilty about this but i'm far away from them and my other three siblings are doing everything to look after them so yeah if i was in england maybe i wouldn't have had this much time to do what I'm doing, because I would have had other responsibilities. It's a difficult one. I love it, Ruby. Where can people find your art? Tell
0: us about your website.
1: So the website is Ruby Jaffrey. So my name is spelled R-U-B-Y-J-A-F-F-R-E-Y. And that's exactly the website. So www.rubyjaffrey.com is the website. In there, there's obviously different options for buying prints. And then there's a commission section, which you can directly email me on info at rubyjaffrey, I'm also on Instagram and Facebook as well. Facebook is Art by Ruby started very much in the early era. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Art by Ruby now. I don't know if that would have been a great name, but... Are people even on Facebook anymore?
0: Like we have a Facebook page and if... I didn't have my Immigrantly Facebook page. I would be off Facebook.
1: Right. And honestly, why I'm still on Facebook. I usually use Facebook for Art by Ruby. Instagram is definitely the biggest way people contact me, I think, at the moment. Simply because I guess everybody's getting on Instagram now. (laughs) Right. But the website, you can contact me through there. And there's a direct email, which takes it to the art section, info at rubyjaffrey.com.
0: Yeah, because kids have moved on to other things, right? So now we see our kids on TikTok and Be Real and all of those things. <laughs>
1: I, I feel old. Otherwise, I don't feel that old. But <laughs> kids, I feel old. <laughs> this
0: was so good, Ruby. Thank you so much you. for this wonderful conversation. Yes, thank you so much. This was a fun conversation. Remember when I spoke to Ruby about how I don't have Arabic calligraphy in my house? and I give myself excuses for why I don't. That particular moment is so profound for me because I really dug deep into my emotions and was able to see what is really happening. I have in a way internalized Islamophobia or fear of being judged on the basis of my religion and I'm glad I had this conversation with her and on a podcast. And that's what I love about Immigrantly. Not only do I learn from other people, I'm I'm able to share my deep down secrets and thoughts and see what you guys think. Anyways, this episode, as always, was produced by me, Sadia Khan, written by Zia Jafri and me. Editorial review by UD Lu. Our editor is Manny Simone. Until next time, please do come back for another incredible story. And in the meantime, guys, please, please follow us on our socials. And we do have a Patreon. You know what? We only need 100, 200 patrons to make this podcast sustainable. So help us out here. Take care.